You are listening to the Hodges Huddle, where we discuss all things happening in the wide world of sports. Here is your KLSU sports team. Welcome into the Hodges Huddle. My name is Andre Champagne, and I'm your host today. And I'm joined today by Patricia Caputo and Liam Haley. How are y'all doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm I'm pretty good. You know, good. LSU improved a two and one after Saturday. You know, they beat Mississippi State by a score of thirty one to sixteen. A huge game, just I think for the program in general during the Brian Kelly era. That was his first SEC win with the Tigers. So we're gonna jump right to it. Um, LSU contained Will Rogers, who came into the game leading the SEC with the most yards and touchdowns in the SEC. So what stood out to y'all the most with our defense and shutting him down? Uh, I mean, personally, like you know, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, it's a secondary. Like, oh, you know, they shut down the passing. But I, I feel like it was more of our like our pass rushers, uh, you know, like B.J. Ojolari and, you know, Harold Perkins combined to make a fierce duo in the pass rush, especially in the second half. And, you know, when they got it clicking, you know, late in the game, there's nothing the Bulldogs could do to let their air raid offense fire off. I agree with that as well. Harold Perkins, a freshman, it didn't really matter. You wouldn't have technically assumed if you had not known. He came in clutch for this team, talking about the secondary. Jay Ward also came in with 15 tackles, and that was the goal for this LSU team. They had to contain Will Rogers because we know how Mike Leach loves to run this air raid offense. Right. I mean, I would say our defensive line was probably the most impressive uh, just because we had four sacks, and we were rushing like three to four guys all night. So I I just also want to commemorate, you know, our safeties. They tackled really well in the open field, um, you know, like Greg Brooks and uh, Major Burns. So do you think that Mississippi State was ready for the defensive packages that LSU brought out with the blitzing and the dropping guys back in coverage? Uh, I mean, not really, personally, like, because, you know, they they didn't get too many big plays uh, besides that one big run. And, you know, from what it looked like, it didn't look like the team, uh, it didn't really look like the team that threw for 320 passing yards against Arizona. So I feel like, you know, the blitzing is, you know, what let the pass coverage do their thing. And, you know, even though the pass coverage was also good before the pass rush really got going, um, you know, once that rush really got going, it, it disrupted everything for them. I agree with Liam because I don't know if Mississippi State expected LSU to blitz. I thought that they were just going to say we're not going, we might not be able to contain Will Rogers because of how quick that tempo is in that Mississippi State offense, how quickly he runs the throws the ball rather. So I thought that they would maybe Mississippi State thought LSU would perhaps focus more on the wideouts and hope that that secondary was going to be the issue, not so much the pass rushers. Yeah, I definitely agree with both of y'all. I don't think they were ready for anything that we were bringing. You know, I think they pretty much expected that we were going to drop eight all night, you know, rush three, just kind of let the quarterback have all his time. But when we started blitzing on them and started getting to their quarterback, he did not do well. You know, he didn't do well. And so I think we had a little slow start because we didn't want to show our cards at first. That's why you saw the first few drives. They they kind of marched down the field, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, Mike Leach going for it on fourth down did not help them most of the time. Correct. So who were some of the guys that y'all were impressed with on this LSU defense just in general? Uh, personally, I got three big names, and we've already set them all. I mean, <laughs> uh, Harold Perkins, uh, B.J. Ojolari, and Jay Ward. I mean, Harold and B.J. held down the line while Jay Ward seems to be everywhere downfield, just you know, getting, like we said, 15 tackles and an interception to ice the game, which we were already up by two touchdowns. But still, that interception just you know ended off the game in a great way for the defense. And Jay Ward got uh, SEC uh, Defensive Player of the Week honors for his, for his performance, and personally, I feel like that was warranted. 
I'm so glad you said BJ, Liam, because I was talking with my mom this week and she was like, why don't you mention BJ Ojolari on the show and how good he played? And I said, well, mom, we expect him to play really well. That should be, that's just like, that's how it is. And then she goes, well, I still think you should mention him. So I'm so happy you said that because now I can say, mom, we mentioned BJ all as well. But as you said, Liam, Jay Ward, as I said before, 15 tackles. And that was just a guy that we need to step up, especially with Joe Fouché getting suspended and the corners who don't have so much experience in the SEC as a teammate like. I was going to agree with both of y'all. Like, <laughs> great minds think alike or something, because I was going to say BJ Ojolari, but that's expected, right? That's, you know, a usual thing to him. He brings that to the table every single day. That's why he's 18. So, I mean, Harold Perkins just came up big time on third down for the defense. And I think the biggest name for me was Jay Ward because mm-hmm. he allowed one yard in coverage all night, that's by the great. way. That's great. One awesome. yard. And that's in a nickel position. That's mm-hmm. not even man on man. Mm-hmm. So that that's pretty crazy to me. Um, but, you know, with we saw a little bit of the corner struggling, you know, sometimes big guy named Kobe Richardson, you know, had his struggles in coverage. Is this, you know, the point to where we would put freshmen in like that spot, like LaTerrence Welsh or Jordan Allen? Uh, I mean, I would, especially with the game coming up because it's New Mexico State. And not to underestimate New Mexico State, but, you know, it's not anything like the teams we're going to face coming up, especially not SEC teams. So I feel like, you know, we can put LaTerrence Welsh in, see what he can do. Because Kobe Richardson has been okay at times, but other times he's really looked bad and it has costed us on uh, on defense. So I feel like if we can experiment and try and find someone else who can make better plays for us, then uh, we should try and do that. I agree. In that game last week, Colby Richardson definitely were, was a part of the LSU struggles in our defense where we there was a possibility that we could have just stopped a lot of plays and there was penalties that were questionable that even if they weren't technically called by the refs, they were still just not great coverage by Colby Richardson. I would expect him to start. And if not, if we can't get into that groove that Coach Kelly is looking for, then this is, as Liam said, definitely a game to try out guys like Welsh or Allen and try to get them comfortable before we definitely get into full realm of SEC play. Yeah, kind of like what both of y'all said. I think this would, week would be a perfect week to give those freshmen the opportunities, you know, get in, get the game feel, and, you know, get the repetition in. I mean, we've seen Welsh step in right away, you know, against Florida State. We saw him. We saw him against Southern. We saw him again last week. So I think for him to, you know, maybe take that spot on, it would probably be most likely. But I think Kobe Richardson, you're not just going to, you know, put him on the bench. He's a guy, he's he's athletic. He's really physical. You know, he went up against Kayshawn every day mm-hmm. in, you know, fall ball. So y- you have to keep him in the lineup. I think he's just going to have to, you know, He's going to have to step up. And some of it's just growing pains. It's difficult going from a team like McNeese State to now a bigger setting like LSU, and there's a lot more pressure on you, and you're playing what some may call bigger or better teams. Yeah, I agree. Um, So, you know, moving along with this defense, the linebackers were a big part in the win, like we said, Harold Perkins. But what did you see some things that you liked from those guys? Well, personally, I saw that, you know, they were moving their feet really well, especially in that middle area, because, uh, I mean, we always keep harping back to this FSU game. But, you know, we can look back and see how these mistakes have been made and see how, you know, how much we've improved. So I feel like in that game, in the FSU game, a lot of the problems were we would get down to third down, be like third and short, and then they would just throw it right in the middle or throw it like a dump off route. And we couldn't, we didn't have the, our linebackers just weren't in the position to play that. And I feel like, you know, they played their position well. And especially, you know, like we keep saying, Harold Perkins, he, he played that well. And then once he moved from middle linebacker to edge rusher, he played that well too. I agree. Especially a guy like Micah, Micah Baskerville, he's just 
this LSU defense is better when he's there. Part of that does have to do with leadership. We forget that we lost a guy like Damone Clark, who was number 18 last year. We lost him to the draft when we need a guy like Micah to step up. And as I said before, he's just better when we're on that field. And even a guy like Harold Perkins, who's technically a linebacker, when he's pass rushing, it only it only improves his defense and puts more pressure on the opposing offense. Yeah, I think so too. And it's just like, I personally think, you know, for me, what stood out to me, I think that we mixed a rotation of the linebackers in perfect spots. Like we put Micah Baskerville in with Perkins. Mm-hmm. Perkins would rush and Baskerville would drop back in coverage. He's a faster guy. He's going to play that zone coverage. And we would also see Greg Penn and Mike Jones together, which was more coverage guys, you know, and they were run stoppers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it all worked out well. And then we also saw Virginia transferred. Wes Weeks came up, you know, with a huge fourth down stop. I think he batted down like a pass or something like that. But um, with New Mexico coming up, what would you like to see just overall from this defense moving forward, such as maybe, you know, consistency or, you know, rotations? Um, I mean, I, I liked what we were doing with Harold Perkins on the line. I mean, he's a great linebacker and you can play that and you can be a linebacker and also be an edge rusher. That's like they're one and the same uh, in a lot of positions. But I feel like, you know, with more consistency on the line, like you can build chemistry and build like certain things that you wouldn't have if you're switching out every time. Now, I'm not saying that switching out rotations is bad because it's good to do that strategically. So, you know, other teams don't know exactly what your lines can be like every single game. But if we have a lot of like consistency, then I feel like it would help out the team. I agree with what Liam said. Consistency is key. That was something this LSU team as a whole struggled with last year. I would say that Brian Kelly has done a better job of trying to keep his team consistent. You know, on the defense, guys like BJ and Ali Gay are consistently going to be good and great leaders. Hopefully Micah Baskerville as well. And as Liam said as well, just making sure that Harold Perkins is out there. He can pass rush. He can play zone if need be, possibly. And also, just having these corners constantly improve and the DBs, that's what I'd like to see, especially in Colby Richardson, just clean up some of the basic things that can be fixed in practice. Yeah, coming into the season, my biggest question was the defense. I thought the defense was going to be our weakness this year, and it's our offense. It's our offense. So I would just kind of like to keep seeing the discipline that we saw from them this past weekend. Not a lot of penalties, really not that much um, on the defense at least. It's time that they keep this consistency up and they use it to their advantage, you know, in, you know, future games. And I want to see the linebackers have a huge game next week because we are facing an option team. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be big with, you know, the discipline and sticking to your role. So we're going to move on talking about this LSU offense. Jaden Daniels played. He played okay until the second half. The second half, he played really well. How does he find that consistency to keep playing four quarters of his game? I mean, yeah, you're right. He did, you know, start off pretty bad. Um, he just wasn't making the right decisions. He, you know, was running when he shouldn't need to and then not running when he did need to. And, you know, um, like, but once the second half started and the defense started to turn up, that I, I feel like that let Jaden get more a little bit more comfortable in the position, even though it's the other side of the ball, just knowing that your defense is there and you don't have to worry about the other team scoring. Okay, I can, you know, settle down a little bit. Uh, he seemed a little bit like calm and poised. But the thing that worries me personally is that, it seems like if our quarterback is a second-half player, then the entire team's a second-half team, and that's not good to do because, you know, then if, you, if you're a second-half team and you're going against teams like Alabama or teams like, you know, even like AM or anything like that, um, that, that can let them get into games when they shouldn't be able to win or, get, or take you out of games when you could have won. So I feel like that's something we got to fix. Now, these last two games, we did see more of a second-half player from Jaden Daniels, even against that game versus Florida State, where we tried to we tried to win, came up short right at the end, and then now versus Mississippi State, that 
that we were able to get jump right back into it with Jaden Daniels in the second half. A lot of that, I would say, with Jaden Daniels right now might just have to do with getting comfortable. He's never played in the SEC. His first ever game was in the Superdome, and now he plays Mississippi State as his first ever SEC game in Tiger Stadium. And it's hard for opposing teams to come in and win. So now imagine being a new quarterback and a team with a lot of expectations and what some may say a lot of uncertainty going into this season, new head coach, Totally new system. Some of that, I think, just has to do with comfortability that over time he will grow out of. And that, yeah, that's that's what I'd say. And also just making sure that he's de- he's comfortable and developing a healthy rotation with practice and with his wide receivers and also Kayshawn Booty, who we'd also like to see him throw. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point. I think it's going to come with repetition and seeing all the coverages and he's going to have to make more reads than he does, you know, just in practice. He's going to have to see that in game. Because, you know, we probably run just one defense in practice. He's going to see more than that. The more decisions he makes in the game, the better he knows for, like, future drives and future games. So he's going to need to know when to leave the pocket, when to stay in the pocket. Because I think for him being a dual-threat quarterback, that's probably the hardest thing to master. Because I think, you know, him having the arm, he's going to find our guys. At some point, he will find our guys. But I think, Liam, you're right. You're going you can't be a second half, you know, person. You can't be a first half, you know, player because teams like Bama are going to any SEC team really is going to pick up on that. You're not going to be able to get away with that. You're going to have to play four quarters of good football. Mm-hmm. So, with that being said, would you rather Daniel stay in the pocket more or do you like the workload that he's getting, you know, forced with all the running? Uh, I mean, I would want him to stay in the pocket a little bit more. But his running is so good that like I wouldn't want to limit him from doing that. Just like Brian Kelly said in his press conference when asked about the same the same question, he said, you know, uh, like he, he that's such a good weapon in his arsenal that he doesn't want to take that away from him. And I completely understand. It's just like you said, it's just that's the hardest thing to master because making the decision of either passing it or like being patient or starting to run, it's really hard to you know figure that out in game. But all that comes with just it, it takes practice. I was watching Monday Night Football last night. This podcast is being recorded on Tuesday, September 20th. And when I was watching that, the commentator was talking about how there used to be just two things a quarterback had to beat the defense in, and that was just throwing a good ball, passing well, and then beating them with their mind. And now there's three. Now you have to beat them with your legs as well. And Jaden Daniels can be crucial to this team if he continues to use that run game to his advantage. He ran for 114 yards against Florida State. He led the team this week as well in rushing with 93. With that being said, I would like to see a guy like John Emery Jr. as he gets more comfortable come in to this offense and take on more of that load just because last week against Mississippi State, when we had nearly secured the win, Jaden Daniels was running on plays that were unnecessary for him to run. Where He took hits. He looked like he was limping off the field for a minute or just limping to the next play. And that's just unnecessary in a start in a starting quarterback. Yeah, I agree. I think he should, you know, I think it's great that he's running, but you know, there was occasions where he missed some of our wide receivers. Mm-hmm. So as long as he's hitting our receivers and, you know, keeping them happy, you know, with with their relationship, you know, I think we're gonna be fine. You know, he just needs to, you know, save up more of that energy as we go down the stretch for big SEC games. Yes. You know, the LSU wide receiver room is just so talented. Malik Neighbors, he's a guy that we talked about so much lately. What is it about him that just makes it easy for us to praise? 
I mean, I, I don't know. I, like, it just, he always seems to be in the right place at the right time on offense. And he just makes something out of nothing in most of these plays. And especially uh, against Mississippi State, he had that one drive that was basically just a Malik Neighbors drive. He <laughs> caught, I, I think it was five passes for 50, like 52 yards, 53 yards. A huge uh, jump ball on fourth down that saved the drive and uh, led us, you know, to to get the lead and eventually the win. So he's just a great player that you know knows how to get to his spots and catch the ball. He doesn't seem to drop a pass. He went five for five against Florida State. He had a great game this week against Mississippi State, and as we said, was crucial in helping us secure this win. And they put him in the slot this season. It's been working well for him, and in a sense. Eventually, not right now what we've seen, but eventually a guy like Malik Malik Neighbors could alleviate some pressure off of Kayshawn Booty because they're going to have to focus on Malik now. That's not just Booty, that threat. We don't have just one threat on this wide receiver court. We have two and possibly even three and a guy like Jarari Jenkins as well, who is underrated, as we talked about on the show this Sunday. Yeah, I think he just has that underdog mentality. And, you know, with his past mistakes with Florida State, I think that just fueled him to work harder, work harder, work harder. And it's all just paying off. You know, we knew he was going to be a sleeper guy coming into the season, but he's just, you know, showing how talented he is on that offensive side. So with John Emery coming back, Kelly said he still had some rust, but what does he need to do? What does he bring back to the table for this LSU offense? Well, you know, he just he adds another back that can extend our running game, uh, you know, outside of Jaden scrambling and the spurts of good play by Armani Goodwin and Noah Kane. And, you know, even though they played well last Saturday, most of that coming from Armani Goodwin, it, it, you know, it's, it's just nice to add an older player that has experience that can add a new dimension to an otherwise, you know, stressed part of the offense that needs to, you know, get some new blood in there. Right. As Liam was saying, John Emery Jr. will help LSU develop a healthy pass run game, possibly alleviate some of that pressure off Jaden Daniels when he feels that he needs to run. Coach Kelly might be more confident to hand the ball off to him because of that experience that he's had with LSU for so long. And he was a part of that national championship team. Yeah, I think he just brings LSU's passing block like Mm -hmm. their block passing. He's very good doing that. And then him in the open field, he makes guys miss. That's not what our running our other running backs do. He's great in that. So I think he's found his kind of role in that. And when he comes back, he's just going to do even better than he's already doing. So with the LSU offense looking like they can just play better with tempo, should the offense just make that more permanent? Uh, I feel like, you know, tempo is what seems like it brings them back in every single game that they're down. Because in the beginning, our offense seems stilted, seems kind of slow, and doesn't really seem like the LSU offense that we're, you know, known, like that we see all the time. And then in the second half, it feels like the tempo is, sped up because, oh, we're down by 13. Oh, we're down by seven. We got to score. So then they start going faster and faster and, you know, getting to their sets easier. And it feels like the, like a higher tempo is just exactly what they needed to score. The tempo with a better tempo, Jaden Daniels does better on after further review. I was listening to that on YouTube and there was a stat that Jaden Daniels against Florida State went nine for nine when the play clock was at 18 seconds or more. So Jaden Daniels works better with that tempo. The only thing that concerns me with the tempo is last week versus Mississippi State when we tried it out, the offensive line couldn't keep up. So it caused a lot of snapping fractures and a lot of false starts that were unnecessary. Yeah, I would say that. You know, it shouldn't become permanent, but we definitely need to start faster in important games like last week. Maybe run the fast tempo offense on your first few drives. I don't know. Something to maybe, you know, try out, but uh, we'll see. So we're going to move on, you know, just talking college football in general. Um, Who would your early picks um, to the college football playoff be right now? 
Um, I mean, obviously, uh, I would say Georgia um, and then Bama, obviously. And then I feel like it's a toss-up. There's a couple teams that I feel like, you know, Ohio State is, you know, a perennial contender. Uh, Oklahoma has seemed really good as well. Um, Michigan has seemed very good as well. So, I mean, that's a toss-up between those teams. But if I had to pick right now, I'd probably say um, Ohio State and Oklahoma. I would definitely say Georgia, Alabama, as Liam have said, there just seems to be – I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment, just a large gap between those two teams. And then I I want to say maybe Michigan. Michigan has a shot, but like I would like to go crazy and say Penn State. But my only concern is can they beat Ohio State? I really don't think so. They seem to right. just do the same thing every year. They start off really strong, especially with quarterback Sean Clifford, and they just can't get that big win that they need. I could see Ohio State going to the playoffs this year. I don't know if they'll win it all. Again, Georgia, Bama, just so dominant. But I'd like to see Ohio State. And if if a team like Oklahoma could make it, that'd just be so cool, especially with their coach leaving and going to USC and things like that, that they're still able to make a run for it. See, I would say, you know, just like y'all pretty much, Georgia, Bama, I think Ohio State's going to end up beating Michigan. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. uh, yes. Michigan's on their high horse still from beating them last year. <laughs> but – I think the four team will probably – it's really a toss-up. Like y'all said, Oklahoma, but Oklahoma, you know, Clemson still in the mix. I think it's going to be USC just Ooh, just like because they have cupcake schedule. Pac-12 is not good mm-hmm. this year uh, like usual. So I think they're going to look at it and say, you know what, why not give USC a chance? But is that what they look at and they say, oh, look, their schedule wasn't right. as good as other teams? Right, and- there's a lot of factors that tie into it. You know, Oklahoma's going to have to beat Texas, and Texas looks really mm-hmm. good. Yes. So, you know, that's that's another big question. So would, would you say with this year's competition gap, the top team, which is Georgia right now, that there's just a huge gap between the rest of the teams right now? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's close. I feel like Georgia is far and away the best team. And although Bama is so very good, it's Bama. But, you know, that Texas game really worries me. You know, seeing a team that that was unranked just push them to the brink like that is, you know, crazy. And I feel like that that just shows how much, you know, Georgia, even though they lost a lot of players in the NFL draft, is still far and away better than Bama. I do think that there's a gap between Georgia and Alabama, but I don't know if it's as big as everyone's saying, just because Alabama every year, which it came earlier than most years, that they just always seem to have that game where they're just not 100%, they're not perfect. But with just an experienced coach like Nick Saban, he always seems to pull it together. He rallies his troops and they get back on track. You have a quarterback who's been there for a few years now, and I I could see them possibly having a little anger from last year. They know it happened. They're ready to come back, and they can definitely compete with Georgia. See, I just think Bama is just – they look so beatable. And, you know, after mm-hmm. the after the Texas game, a lot of people thought, you know, with the referees, you know, that was a big questionable thing. They thought Bama should have lost, you know, mm-hmm. um, by a, a decent margin too. So I think that, you know, Georgia st- has a chance to repeat, but, you know, they have to play with consistency. That's the biggest question. Especially through SEC play, that's going to be the most interesting thing to look at if you're Georgia. So we're going to move on to NFL. Liam, we watched a little bit of the Saints-Bucks <laughs> yeah. game. Um, you know, with this Saints team losing this weekend by a score of 20-10, to 10, what exactly made the Saints break down? 
Um, I feel like that fight had a lot to do with it, you know, because uh, after that, we, like the Saints just seemed out of it. And of course, you know, Jameis, you know, being injured also has something to do with it because he was like unwilling to like to scramble because of the fractures in his back. But that the injury does also doesn't excuse the terrible interceptions he threw. He seemed like he was back in Tampa. It was just it was like after the second half because it, it was a defensive battle the entire game. And then the fight happened and then it just broke out. So um, I feel like it was just a lot of Jameis just making dumb decisions and um, that fight. Patricia, what did you see? I saw injuries as, you know, Jameis Winston wasn't 100% healthy. He had four fractures in his back. And while he is out there, he's playing, he's trying to make plays. That's difficult for a quarterback to go out there and win a game, especially against arguably the greatest quarterback of all time, if not the greatest quarterback of all time, in Tom Brady. The defense did a great job of trying to contain him. You got Brady riled up. He threw an iPad. Usually what happens when he plays the Saints, but he was just able to be the better quarterback in this situation. Yeah, we kind of talked about that, too. We, we were like, when are the Saints going to lose the Bucks? Mm-hmm. And I told you, I think it's going to be today. <laughs> and so um, I think Lattimore getting tossed, like Liam said, is is the turning point of that game. Also think Ingram fumbling it in the red zone while the game was tied in the fourth quarter is also the reason, you know, that all the momentum changed. And that was Tom Brady's first ever win as a Buccaneer against the Saints. Well, yeah, in the regular regular season. In the regular season, yes. Yes, exactly. So Mike Thomas played decently well with Kamara missing. What What does the offense need to do? Um, I just feel like like uh, with Alvin Kamara being you know out this game, uh, Mark Ingram played well, and I feel like we just need to get that run game going because once that run game goes, and obviously we saw that besides the fumble, uh, Ingram played really well, uh, at least you know in that position of having to be put into the starting uh, running back position. I feel like if we can get that run game going, which I know the Saints can, then it opens up everything else, like opens up all the passing because then you're a dual threat. You can run or you can pass. So uh, if we can just get uh, if we can get passing going, get running, it's just kind of they're tied together. So if we can get one of those going, it'd be really big for our offense. Correct. Again, with this offense, it's just injuries. Where you, as I mentioned, you have Winston who's hurt, and now you have Kamara who w- left the or was not able to play this week with a rib injury. And there's only so much Mark Ingram can do with the Saints team. He was never supposed to be that dominant guy who came out there who was running back one. It was Avin Kamara, and then you have Mark Ingram there to to make some big plays when needed. And now with just these injuries that continue to just spiral for this offense, it's going to be difficult to possibly win games or at least try to stay in a game when everyone's injured. Yeah, I think the offense should have just taken more deep shots you know, than we did. Alave, we saw Alave, mm-hmm. was open on multiple occasions. Mm-hmm. Winston missed him, you know, a lot. And that can't happen in the future. But he also made bad decisions, you know, trying to do too much when we went down. We saw that with the interceptions. I also want to just kind of blame play calling. Play calling was just way too repetitive. And, you know, the Bucks picked up on it. They're smart. They're very talented. And so I think they picked up on it. We should have called like a running back screen or something, you know, to throw them off. But that's pretty much my evaluation for them. And part of that reminds me of Baker Mayfield last year, as you mentioned, with Winston overthrowing passes. And that could most definitely be because of his injury. And Baker Mayfield last year played through injury. There was a point where nearly every part of his body was on the injury report, his arm, yep. his leg, his rib. And I love the fight. And of course, as a player, you want to fight through it. You want to win games for your team. But there has to come a point where if this continues to happen, where Jameis just has to sit. You just got to give him a few weeks if you want to at least have a shot at the playoffs because Baker Mayfield essentially lost his job trying to fight through an injury or multiple injuries. Right. 
Patricia, we're going to let you, you know, ask some questions. Liam, I don't know about you, but I definitely watched the Cowboys <laughs> and the Bengals I this weekend. It was a very good game. Patricia, what, you know, let's see what you have to say. Let's go. Let's go over some NFL games real quick. First off, we have the Cowboys and the Bengals. The Cowboys won in a stellar game, 20 to 17. They won by a field goal in the final seconds. Cooper Rush, Dak Prescott is out. Jerry Jones says four weeks, but it's probably going to be a little longer than that. That's a little bit of wishful thinking. But Cooper Jones, next season, do we see him possibly starting at a quarterback position in another team? Um, I mean, he played really well. Uh, I feel like the first game when he came in, he was just kind of thrown in there and, you know, he was like unfairly judged for how he played. And now that, you know, he got, he got a week to prepare for, uh, this Bengals team that looks pretty underwhelming, at least in the first couple of games. Um, I feel like Cooper Rush is definitely a, a talented quarterback and, uh, he, he could get, you know, starting quarterback job at least somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I think if he keeps it up, you know, one game is way too, you know, hard Early. to base it off of. But, you know, he he looked like vintage. I, I don't want to compare these two, but he looked like New England Tom Brady out there. He did like he was doing oh, everything wow. little like he was doing the checkdowns. He was hitting his guys just right on target. He he had some dimes mm-hmm. he did. and he was just really impressive to me. He went two of 35. 90, he went 19 of 31 for 235 yards and a touchdown. Could possibly see him last year. What I thought made it so much easier for him to transition is how long he's been in this Cowboys offense. He's been their backup for quite a few years, so he's comfortable. And part of that comfortability came with Noah Brown being one of his main targets. Wide receiver Noah Brown, 91 yards on five receptions. Does he help alleviate this pressure off of CeeDee Lamb for the remainder of the season? I feel like he does. And uh, I'm not the biggest Cowboys fan, so I, I, I'm not going to, I'm going to be honest. I didn't know who he was. I was seeing, you know, Cooper Rush throw to this, uh, this, this guy and I'm like, oh, he's throwing a CD. And then it's not, he's not number 88. And I'm like, who is this guy? And he kept, he, he kept making big plays. And I'm not trying to disrespect him by saying that, but he was just, he came out of nowhere, at least to me. And he played really well. Yeah, Patricia, we had talked about it. Mm -hmm. We were like, who is going to be that wide receiver that takes the place of, you know, getting getting the ball, you know, and, you know, getting some attention off of CD. It was Noah Brown and he just shined. And it it was great to see. And you had, um, as Liam said, not a lot of people did know him because him and Cooper Rush worked a lot together in the offseason and in previous years because there was always a guy like Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, who was out there catching passes from Dak and Noah Brown was fourth, fifth string guy possibly with Wilson, who the Cowboys had last year, where he wasn't needed as much. And now he is because of that, of losing so many wide receivers on that Dallas front. Now let's talk about the Bengals real quick. We know their amazing season that they had last year and how they nearly won the Super Bowl, but just lost to the Rams. Are the Bengals like that one and done team where they had a great year and they might not ever make it there again? No, I think they're just struggling with identity right now, kind of like the Saints. But I think I always thought this, that Zach Taylor was, you know, kind of an overrated coach. I think Joe Burrow just, you know, took over last year. And, you know, with all those guys believing, you know, in the process, everybody just took over last year. But this year, you know, teams are going to start to figure out what they're going to do. So they need to come up with a better game plan every week. Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, I wasn't too high on the Bengals coming in this year. I thought they're going to do good just because you, you have Joe Burrow, you have Jamar Chase, you have the uh, you have the defense they have. But um, I mean, I feel like this is a classic case of just a Super Bowl hangover. I feel like they're they're getting off that that huge run, and no one ever saw it coming. I didn't see it coming. They were the underdogs. They were like the the cool story. Everybody wanted them to win. 
Um, but I feel like now they're coming back into this season, trying to find that groove again, trying to be the underdog team again. And I just don't see them doing anything too much uh, or too big in the season. In week one, Joe Burrow got sacked 11 times. In week two, he got sacked six times and hit nine more. So what I'm reading on Sports Illustrated is that defenders got to him 36% of his 42 dropbacks. The line, the offensive line for the Bengals was such a struggle last year, and that was one of the concerns and possibly one of the reasons they lost that Super Bowl last year, and it doesn't seem like it's gotten much better. They've tried to make improvements and make adjustments, but it just doesn't seem to be working out as Joe Burrow is still immensely under a ton of pressure that just shouldn't be happening in a league like this if you want to win football games. Moving on, let's talk a little bit about these Monday night games. They were a little bit of the blowout, but the Eagles look very, very good. They are 2-0 on the season. They defeated the Vikings 24-7. So many times, Jalen Hurts being the quarterback for the Eagles, there was a question of can he read defenses. Last night, did it prove that he can finally read, that he can read defenses and that he's not as problematic as some may say? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, Jalen Hurts, I was really high on him coming into this season. Uh, you know, I, I knew that he had potential to be great. Um, and, you know, last year they got kind of, they got stuck with playing the Buccaneers in the playoffs and that people are like, oh, well, Jalen Hurts is overrated. Oh, he's not that good because they kind of they got blown out by the Buccaneers. So um, I feel like Jalen Hurts has a lot to prove to people, and he's been proving it this season by playing as well as he has been. And um, I'm excited to see what he does for the rest of the season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Liam and I kind of talked about, you know, a while back, we really were were high on the Eagles. We really think their future is so bright in the NFL. And so I think, you know, with Jalen Hurts just being a, a dual threat, he keeps, you know, defenses on their toes at all times. Mm-hmm. You saw last night. I, I was like, please keep a man on them at all times, but they didn't. And they still, you know, fell for it. And when they do fall for it, they're going to give it to Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders mm-hmm. is going to run. So they have a lot going for them right now. It's going to be interesting to see how they can keep it up. And I'm really excited to, you know, watch this team develop. Correct. The Eagles just seem very put together, especially in this this. NFC East that they are there are there's a lot of teams that are struggling right now yep. every year they seem to struggle but the Eagles have seemed to get it together with that Jalen Hurts can read defenses I think the Eagles said something like Hurts doesn't it when they won the game and they mm. posted that on Twitter and nice little analogy you could say there and but what helped Jalen Hurts so much was this wide receiver core. You know, they traded for A.J. Brown in the offseason that was able to help him out and then also Quez Watkins who looked extremely good last night what do we see from them and can they just help make a big difference in this philly team this season yeah Yeah. you can go i go all right sorry about that uh i mean jalen hurts like we've been talking about like just a couple seconds ago oh well you know he he can read defenses yeah he's good but you know if you don't have the wide receivers to to throw to then that's gonna be a big problem obviously i mean look at what happens with aaron Rodgers. even though they, they have been winning aaron Rodgers is having to throw to all these people that are rookies and aren't that experienced but now with Jalen Hurts, we can see, okay, we can see like his full potential because he has A.J. Brown, he has lots of receivers, he has Dallas Goddard as a as a tight end who's a solid tight end. So I feel like with them having the receiver core that they have, it's going to really show us how good Jalen Hurts is. Yeah, their, their wide receivers are just stacked. Devontae Smith, who was a Heisman winner. Yes. You have A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown was the top receiver for the Titans. They should have never let him go yeah. as, you, as we're going to talk about in a little bit. But you know, having those guys is essential for Hertz because he has all these weapons and he doesn't even need to run it. He doesn't need to run it anymore. They can pass it. 
He was doing great last night passing it. He threw for like 330 yards. Yep, 333 yards, went 26 of 31. And that comes with what I would say everyone questioning Kenny Reed defense is because he had to so heavily rely on his run game because a guy like Jalen Rager was never the dominant ride receiver that the Eagles had hoped for. So that's why they make a trade like A.J. Brown, Watkins stepping in and adds like, that's how you know you're a good team when you have a guy like Devontae Smith and I didn't even mention him. Granted, he had 80 yards, A.J. Brown, 69, Watkins, 69, Dallas Goddard led the team with 82 yards. But those are just a stacked wide receiver tight end core that makes the Eagles better in the long run. And it's something that Jalen Hurts has never essentially had in his career. And now he has the opportunity to make plays. And as Andre mentioned, you also have Miles Sanders. So you have a lot that a defense has to look out for on this offense. And we see as good as this Vikings defense could be, they struggled last night against all these weapons. Let's move on to the second Monday night game. We were blessed with two Monday night games this week that was actually well, if you're a Titans fan, even worse than the Eagles blowout, as some may say. 41-7, to the Bills were able to come with a win. The Bills 2-0, the Titans fall to 0-2. Tannehill was taken out of the game. You had Malik Willis, who they drafted in the offseason out of Liberty, put into the game for a little bit. Is Ryan Tannehill's time with the Titans over? Um, yeah, I feel like, you know, uh, last year against the Bengals, he played terrible. I mean, he a lot like he just had a couple interceptions. Just was not playing the best, and I wasn't really high on him to begin with. I, I didn't think he was that good of a quarterback. Who was saying, "Oh, well, it's just one game. Oh, it's this, this, that." But I feel like you know, if you have someone like Malik Willis uh, behind him that you know has potential, and with the season going the way it is, um, I don't know, keep him in a few more games, uh, and then see you know how it shakes out and if they're looking really bad then I feel like you know it's time to uh, let, let Malik get some snaps yeah I completely agree with Liam I mean it's just a lot of whole pain a, a whole lot of pain sorry for mm-hmm. the Titans and it's going to be a, ho- a whole lot more because they are in trouble right now um, Ryan Tannehill is not that guy you know it's just weird they they went from the number one seed in the AFC last year to you know starting off 0-2 yeah, it's early, but they don't have a whole they they don't have one receiver that, you know, he can rely on. Correct. I do you you don't draft a quarterback for no reason. They draft him Malik Willis for a reason. I believe that he will get into the game eventually, permanently. They play the Colts next week. The Titans play the Colts, the Raiders rather next week are 0-2. So it is possible that they could get their first win. But Andre, as you mentioned, they drafted Traylon Burks in the draft, and he was compared to A.J. Brown. That's all great and fine, but most of the time, experience and talent beats more than just talent. While oh, yeah. Burks is still coming into his own, he's came out of Arkansas this year, but a guy like A.J. Brown knows what he has to do. He knows what has to get done, and he already had that great experience with Ryan Tannehill. And now that you lost that, and then you have a guy like Derrick Henry who wasn't able to step up last night. He had a slim 25 yards. You had Hassan Haskins, the rookie out of Michigan, who had 37, but not a great running game either for Tennessee. How important is Derrick Henry to step up in these moments when their quarterback is struggling? Yeah, I think teams are just figuring him out. You know, they're they're setting all of their offensive power on him. And, you know, if they're going to do that, they have no offense after mm-hmm. Derrick Henry. Yeah, I mean, you can't just put all of it on one person and then ex- you know expect to win a lot of games because Derrick Henry is an awesome talent and he has shown that in the past couple of years just how good he can be. But I mean, as with anything, you can't just put it all. You don't put you know as the analogy goes, you don't put all your eggs in one basket because mm-hmm. 
it, it like if something happens, then you know you, you you lose games, and you can't just have nobody as your receiver core, and then have just Derrick Henry, and then Ryan Tannehill as your quarterback. It just that doesn't translate to wins. Right, I agree with you as well. I preach this a lot, but opening up an offense is so important, and that's what A.J. Brown did. You had to focus on a guy like Derrick Henry, and you had to focus on a guy like A.J. Brown. And then when Ryan Tannehill, he was a great quarterback last season, he was able to make plays when he counted, you had to focus on him as well. Now you lose that component, and okay, we're going to focus on Derrick Henry, and then possibly Hassan Haskins to come in. All right, we have to look at Traylon Burks, but it's not like you're having a dominant guy who's already made himself known in the NFL like A.J. Brown. The same thing happened with the Cowboys when they lost Amari Cooper. When they brought Amari Cooper in there from Oakland, he opened up that offense and alleviated the pressure off Ezekiel Elliott, and now the Titans seem to be in that same predicament. But let's talk about the team that won. 41 points. A lot of that came from Josh Allen, who threw for 317 yards for four touchdowns, and Stefan Diggs, who had 148 yards on 12 receptions. Just how good is this duo? Um, I mean, like like you just said, this, the stats are crazy. Um, I mean, I think he had uh, – how many touchdowns did Stefan Diggs have? Three. He had three. Yeah, that's what I thought. He, You know – if you look at this duo and you don't think Super Bowl contender or Super Bowl favorite, then I don't know what you're looking at because this Bills team looks absolutely dominant and I don't think there's anybody that's standing in the way of a Super Bowl. I completely agree. I mean, Josh Allen, is he has everything that it takes to win a Super Bowl. You know, I know that it. I think it takes an elite quarterback to win a Super Bowl. He has all of the assets to do it. He has Devin Singletary. You know, he has Stephon Diggs, Dawson Knox. Isaiah McKenzie, he's really stepped up. You know, they have guys. It's just a matter of fact if, you know, are they going to get it done. I thought I had the opportunity to win in fantasy, go 2-0 for probably the first time in my fantasy football career. And then Monday night came and Josh Allen scored 45 points. And this the my cousin, who I played against, is a Bills fan. So he also drafted Stefan Diggs very early. Everyone practically roasted him and how they he drafted Josh Allen so early and then Stefan Diggs went on to score 52 points. I lost 80 185 to 100. Hmm. Very disappointing time for me, but it did show how great Josh Allen and this Stefan Diggs duo is and I did see a tweet which I thought was kind of funny because as we know the Eagles won as we just talked about and then the Bills won and they said I don't think America has the infrastructure to be able to handle a Bills Eagles Super Bowl. We know how no. we know how proud these teams can be and the the tables will come out and everyone will be jumping and there might be a few fires like there were when Phillies won the Super Bowl. So that will definitely be interesting to see. Yeah, for sure. Um this has been the Hodges Huddle. Um, from Liam and Patricia. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Jonah, thank you to our producer. And uh, be sure to watch our tailgate show on Friday at 1130 and watch our Sunday shows at 2 o'clock.